Well, good morning. It is good to see the place full. You know what I'm talking about? After last night, I'm still recovering. I'm telling you, we, we, uh, we, I moved everyone to the front, you know. It was great. People said, you look really small from up here. It's like I'm used to watching on the big screen. And uh, it was great. Uh, hey, you did have a good 4th of July. Did you all have a good 4th of July? Uh, how many of you actually, you made an intentional effort, you went to see fireworks last night? Why don't say, okay, he's very good, yeah. How many of you said, hey, it's Saturday, I'm going to bed? How many said, yeah, there, there you go, yeah, very good. Yeah, we, uh, we had, uh, we, we, I, I had the worst fireworks experience of my life last night, I think. You know, we, we kind of went to some neighbors and it just wasn't really, it's, it's like, hey, is there fire? Yeah, there is, there's something more in the distance. What's it looks like? Oh, awesome, great, woo! You know, it was uh, pretty small, so probably won't do that again. But uh, <laughs> great neighbors, though. Love the neighbors. So that was awesome, just being with them. So, uh, hey, we're uh, continuing our series in uh, the Gospel of John. And if you're brand new, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Mike. And inside of your program is a white message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. And so I encourage you to take that out because you'll, you'll definitely need that to help you follow along. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Let's, uh, let's go. Father, thank you so much for this chance to be here. It's just so good to be in your presence, to worship, to experience you. And and God, that's what it's all about. That's where we come every week. It's for the time of encounter. Uh, we meet with you. You meet with us. You speak. You mold. You shape. You reveal. And you do what only you can do. And so that's why we come, Lord. We come not to put in our time, not to, because it's a duty. We come to meet with you. And we pray that now in your word you'd speak to us by name. You would reveal your vision, your destiny for each of us as we talk about this journey that we're on with you. And as we learn from their story of these first disciples, we learn our story, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Our story starts today. Let's rewind the clock back a couple thousand years. It's the east side of the Jordan River in Israel, and, uh, and it's a little town called Bethany. Um, Bethany by the Jordan, uh, not the same as Bethany that's famous in the Gospel of John later on, closer to Jerusalem. This is a little unnamed place. We don't even know where it is today. Can't even find the ruins of it, but, it, but that's where the story takes place. And uh, as we, we open the story today, we're on the banks of the Jordan, and there's a, there's a prophet there, and it's the first time there's been a prophet in the land of Israel for 400 years. Stop thinking about that. That puts us back to Jamestown in our, in our country. And uh, so the people are flocking out. Of course, everyone wants to know, oh, what's your name? What are you about? What's your message? Why'd you come? Why'd God send you? And, uh, and he keeps saying, hey, it's not about me. It's about the one who's coming next, the one who's coming after me. On this particular day, there's a man there. He's, uh, he's from the north of the country, from the Sea of Galilee. He's a fisherman. He's come with some of his buddies. And he's, he's come and he's to hear the prophet. And he's so taken with the prophet that he and his buddies have stayed. And, and so they've hung out. And so they're there. And the prophet keeps saying that, that this one who's coming after it will be coming soon. And so all the crowds are on high alert every day watching. Sure enough, one day he comes and... This prophet says, there he is. That's him. On this particular day, the fishermen from the Sea of Galilee didn't get to meet him. But the next day, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, gets to meet him for the very first time. Today we're, uh, we're continuing the series that we've been in now for the last uh, three weeks, our third week, um, on the Gospel of John. It's a, it's a story of the life and the teaching of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and his very best friend, uh, the Apostle John. And we come to chapter 1, and as we, as we uh, begin this story, it is there on the banks of the Jordan. And uh, there are two Johns in this story, and, and so we don't want to get them confused. There's John the prophet. We know him as John the the Baptist. And First prophet, 400 years, everyone's coming out, streaming out to see him, want to see what he's about. There's another John in this story. He's the John who later will become the apostle John, who will become uh, the, the author of this gospel. So we have these two Johns. And as we open the story today, as the story opens up, we've got John the Baptist on the banks of the Jordan and a, an official delegation from Jerusalem of spiritual leaders made up of some priests and some uh, religious leaders called Levites that are like uh, temple workers, kind of ministry staff, that they've been sent from this, the spiritual establishment in Jerusalem to check out this prophet, find out what his claims are, why he's come. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 1 and verse 19. We're going to be 
We're going to finish the whole chapter today, so we're making some speed. And, uh, and it's the story of the first four days uh, where the first followers of Jesus meet him, and, uh, and as told by, by John the Apostle. And so uh, in verse 19... It says this was John's testimony, John the Baptist. Um, you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about this opening statement in this court case that the apostle John makes, first 18 verses, where he lays out his case that there's a time and a place when the God who created time and space entered into time and space. And in this court case, he's going to be calling different witnesses. Remember last week, the first star witness was John the Baptist. And so he starts the story with John in verse 19. This was John's testimony on his court case. Uh, when the Jews of Jerusalem, the spiritual leaders, they sent this delegation of priests and Levites to ask him who he was. And he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And so, of course, the big question in everyone's mind is, could this be the Messiah? Christ is the Greek form of Messiah. So could this be the Messiah? And he says right away, nope, I'm not the guy. And they said, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Malachi that before the Lord came, that uh, the prophet Elijah would return. And so they said, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And they said, well, are you the prophet? Back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses had said that one day God would send a super prophet to the nation, uh, a prophet like himself. And when he comes, you better pay attention. And so they said, are you the prophet? And he said, no. And so finally they said, well, then who are you? Gonna help us out here. Uh, give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And so I'm, I'm a little frustrated. We're getting frustrated. You know, it's like uh, you don't want to tell us anything. Like, who are you? We, we gotta we gotta go back with something. And so John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet from Isaiah 40, and he says, "I'm the voice. I'm just a voice, and I'm a one calling in the desert." Of course, he's out in the desert doing the ministry at the Jordan. So I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, get ready for God to come. And so there were some Pharisees who were there too. Now, Pharisees were not priests. They're not Levites. They're, they're spiritual leaders, but they're laymen, very influential in the nation. So there's some Pharisees who have been sent as well there, and they question him. Well, why are you baptizing? Then if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. And he says, well, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't know. There's one already here that has not been recognized yet, and he's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And that day, one of the lowest jobs on the totem pole was to take off someone's shoes and wash their feet. Usually only servants would be done. He says, I- I'm not even worthy to be his servant. Like, I- I- I'm not really worthy to kiss his feet, is what he's saying. And he, says, and he says, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so that's day one in this story. We're going to go through four days, day one. Now the next day, verse 29, next day, so this is day two, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, and he says, look, hey, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we know from the other Gospels that Jesus had already been baptized this time. Remember when Jesus came, he came to be baptized in the Jordan. If you remember the story, when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him in the form of a dove. John, of course, sees that. And... Uh, And then Jesus, after he's baptized, he heads off to the wilderness for about a month and a half, about 40 days, to spend time with God, seek God, fasting, prayer, and uh, spiritual warfare. And so that's already happened. Now he's coming back on the scene now to be with John. So he's been, and we don't know exactly how much time has transpired, but at least a month and a half. And so John looks at him, he looks out in the crowd one day, he says, there he is. There's the guy. And, uh, He says, verse 30, this is the one I met when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Remember, we looked at that last week, his claim to preexistence. He says, I myself did not know him. I didn't recognize him as Messiah. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So you asked me why I came baptizing. Here's the reason. I came as part of this package deal to reveal him, that he might be revealed, you know, that God might be revealed. And so uh, he said, I would not have known him, verse 33, I would have not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize, that's, of course, God, with water, said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down 
and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so when, when you just kind of watch out, he says, John, I know you're not going to recognize this guy, but, but here's how you recognize him. When the Messiah comes, you, the, the Spirit's going to come down on him and it's going to stay on him. And that's the, your key. That's the guy. And he says, hey, I was there. This is my testimony in this courtroom scene here. This is my witness. This is my testimony. This is what God said. This is what happened. I saw it. This is the guy. That's my take it down, court reporter. Write it down. This is my witness. And, uh, and so he said, uh, um, and he went, and God went on and said, I, I would not have known him except, verse 33, except the one who had sent me to baptize water said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and rain, he's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John says, I'm baptizing with water, but this one who's coming after, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to usher in a whole new age into human history, the age of the Holy Spirit, where we can actually be drenched with the Holy Spirit. We can be washed with the Holy Spirit. We can be born again by the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with this Holy Spirit. We can have a new relationship with God, a, spirit, a spiritual connection with God through this, this man who's coming. And then John goes on and says, uh, I have seen and I testify, notice the word testify, courtroom, I testify this is the Son of God. And so, so, so John the, the Apostle is now kind of putting up his star witness, John the Baptist, this is John's testimony. Now, verse 35, the next day, so we're on day three here. Day one, the delegation from Jerusalem comes. Who are you? Day two, Jesus comes. There he is. Now we're on day three. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. So catch this. John's there at the river, whatever, baptized. He's got two of his disciples, two of his followers. In just a minute, we're going to learn that one of these followers was Andrew. Andrew became eventually one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was from a little town called Bethsaida up on the Sea of Galilee. So he had traveled down to, to, to be part of John's ministry. So one of his disciples is Andrew, and I want you to catch this. Many of the first disciples of Jesus were disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus. So he was there, one of John's disciples. The other disciple is unnamed. Chances are, pretty sure of this, this is John the Apostle. Remember how we've talked about that he just never mentions himself by name. He's always under the radar. But this whole account has the marks of an eyewitness, what we're about to read. And, and it just makes sense. He's the guy. He's there, one of the first guys, but he just wants to not mention his own name. And so, so you've got John the, 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 John the Baptist with Andrew and John, two of his disciples, probably been helping him in his baptismal ministry, helping to baptize people. They're part of his, his plan. And so he's standing there, and it's the next day, and when he sees Jesus passing by, Jesus happens to be walking by, and John says, look, there he is. That's the guy, the Lamb of God. I was talking about yesterday, there he is. And the two disciples, they're just like, whoa, this is the guy. And so they're like, see you later, bye, to John. And it's like they start following Jesus. This is just such a cool scene in my mind. I mean, just kind of picture this, that, that, that here's, this is the guy they've been waiting for their whole life. I mean, every, every Israelite dreamed of the day that maybe in their lifetime the Messiah would come. And now the prophet has come, first time in 400 years. And, and they've traveled down from, from their fishing nets, hanging out with John the Baptist. They're convinced he's the real deal. God's doing something. He's saying that the guy's coming. He's coming. He's already here. He's, he's coming. They're on high alert. And finally comes the day. He goes, there he is. I mean, this is what they've been waiting for their whole life. And so they start to follow. And uh, Jesus senses them stalking him. And you can just kind of picture this, like, slow down, John. We're getting too close. He'll notice. He'll, no, no, no. no. We, gotta, we don't want to lose him, you know. And, uh, uh, and so uh, they're, they're, verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, hey, what do you all want? <laughs> and uh, they don't know what to say. Have you ever met someone, like, really famous? You're, like, waiting in line. You want to, you want to say something really profound, or you just get there and you say something really stupid? Because like, you just kind of go, this is kind of what happens to them. And so, I mean, what do they want to say to him? They want to say to him, like, what do we want? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're the Messiah. Like, we've been waiting for you our whole lives. You know, we, we left our fishing bit. We're down here with John. We're hanging out. We're waiting for you day by day. It's like, like you're the, we just want to have dinner. We want to hang out. 
We want to hear what you're about. We want to hear everything you have to say. We want to know everything about you. Like, what do we want? We want everything. We want the whole deal. Just back up the dump truck, baby. Pour it on. We, we want it all. I mean, that's what they want to say, right? You see, I mean, that's, it's got to be. It's like, what you, this is it. This is the guy. This is the guy. I mean, this, like, we just want to hang out. Can we hang out? But they didn't really say that. <laughs> What they say, all they can muster is, uh, hey, rabbi, uh, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? (laughs) Got a room around here, Motel 6, uh, Ramada Inn, Embassy Suites. And, uh, of course, Jesus knows what they want. It's the coolest thing about Jesus. He he knows what we want. It doesn't make us feel awkward. He, He, like, gets it. You know, when you first come to Jesus, you don't know what to say. Some of you are brand new Christ followers here. I talk to you, I don't know what to say when I pray. I just feel so awkward. It's like, hey, he totally gets that. He knows what you want to say. Just, just be yourself. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll read between the lines. And so that's exactly what happens. He says, hey, why don't you come and you'll see. He, he knows what they want. They want to hang out. And see, so, you know, he could have just said, oh, I'm staying at uh, Joe's place in town. You know, it's over there by the Kmart. I don't know. Uh, but no, he just says, hey, why don't you come and see? Come and check it out. Let's hang out together, which is exactly what they wanted. And so they, they went, and they, they saw where he was staying, and the catch is they spent the day with him. This time, wasn't this awesome? Wouldn't you like to be there? As they like, hey, pass the matzah. Uh, Jesus, you know, it's, just, it's like, what, like, what did they talk about that very first day, you know? Oh, so you, uh, you grew up in, like, Nazareth, huh? Um, uh, oh, I, I got a friend there in Nazareth. His name's Joe. Do you know Joe? Uh, you're, like, you're like, what do you say? And, uh, and so it's about, the, it's about the 10th hour when this all happens, and that's, they counted hours from 6 in the morning, so that's 4 in the afternoon. And so, so anyway, so they have this great time with Jesus. Now, Andrew's just blown away. Uh, he's got this brother named Simon Peter, and uh, his actual name is was only Simon at this point, but they call him Simon Peter because that's what he became known later. So he, he has this friend, this brother Simon, he's just, like, excited, like, I don't know, do you remember when you first came to Christ, like you just want to tell somebody? Like, you got to check this guy out. And that's how he is. And so he says uh, he was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who would followed Jesus. And so the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. First thing. And he says to him, hey, we found the Messiah. And apparently Peter was in the area. He must have been down there with John the Baptist too because uh, he lived far away. And that's the Christ. And so they, he brings them to Jesus. And I love this scene because Jesus looks at him. Now, of course, they've never met. It's his first meeting. But Jesus knows him. And, and so he speaks into his life. And he says, hey, you're, you're Simon. I, I know who you are. You're Simon. Um, your dad's name's John. Your son, John. I know who you are. I know your story. But uh, can I tell you about your future? Uh, in the future, you, you've got a destiny. And, and we're going to change your name. And uh, I know your name right now. I know, I know your buddies call you. I know what your reputation is. I know about you. But um, you're going to have a new name. And your name's going to be Cephas, which in Aramaic means the rock, uh, which in Greek is, is translated Peter. And he says, you're, you're going to be the rock. You're going to be the man. Uh, you're going to be solid. We're going to build on you. You're going to be a leader. And he speaks into his life. And we'll come back to that later. And so that's that, that day. Now the next day, so we're day four, <laughs> Jesus decides to leave to the, go to the north, to Galilee, where they're all from. And he finds a, a guy named Philip, and he says to him, hey, why don't you come with me, follow me. And the next day, uh, Jesus, uh, and then, so Philip, in verse 44, turns out that he is from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter, the two brothers. Um, and it's from a little town called, see, it says Bethsaida, which is on the Sea of Galilee, fishing village. So this is really fascinating to me, that we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this later, that the first disciples of Jesus uh, so many of them knew one another. Uh, they'd grown up together. I think there's some big implications for that. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, but so they, you know, he, he knows Andrew. He knows Peter. And so Jesus goes after this guy that he knows, knows them. And he says, follow me. And so Philip, now he's just so pumped. He's excited. He's met Jesus. He's convinced that this guy is really special. He's the Messiah. And so he finds, he goes off to find his friend Nathaniel. Now, apparently before, on his way there, before Philip got there, we don't know why, but Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. Uh, he, he happened, you know, whatever he's doing on this fig tree. And so Philip uh, finally comes to him, and he's going to tell him that, hey, we found the Messiah. And, and his name is Jesus, 
which is like a common Jewish name. It's the Joshua, you know, so you can imagine, you know, you, if you're a Jewish, you're going to name your kid Joshua. He's a popular guy, you know. So his, his, name, his name's Jesus, and he's from the town of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is like podunk Israel, okay? Like, like I just got back from this long motorcycle trip, and I went through a lot of Nazareth on the way. You know, I'm talking about, you know, Kansas has a lot of Nazareth, Eastern Washington, High Washington, a lot of Nazareth. You know, Nazareth is a place where you've got one Arco, um, one Dairy Queen, and a subway in the, in, the rest, in, in, the, in the gas station. You know, it's like, that is Nazareth. And, and it's just, it's really like, it's a, no, it's a no-name place. It's, it's like a hole in the wall. Like, I don't know what our equivalent, we don't like Southern California, nothing small here. I don't know what our equivalent, I used to say Blythe, but it's really, Blythe's too big. So it's, and so he's going to say, hey, we found the guy. His name is Jesus. Uh, he's Joseph's son. At least that's what they thought, you know. And he's from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel's like, no way. <laughs> messiahs don't come from places like Nazareth. You know, it's like that's where you get messiahs. Messiahs come from like, you know, Bethlehem, you know, city of David. They come from Jerusalem. They don't come from like Nazareth. And so what he's going to say is, no, man, seriously. This is a guy, I'm sure he talked to him. You know, hey, John the Baptist said that this is the guy. He's the son of God. And, and Peter's met him. And Andrew's met him. And, and I met him. And you're going to love him. And he's amazing. And, and so we'll see what happens. So <clears throat> Philip, verse 45, you know, just like Andrew went and got Peter because he wanted to tell him, it's a pattern here, isn't there? Uh, Philip, he goes and finds his buddy Nathaniel. And he says, hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law. Is from the one the prophets wrote about, uh, known as Messiah. His name's Jesus. He's from the town of Nazareth. His dad's name is Joseph. And uh, skeptic Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip does the smart thing. Doesn't try to argue him. Doesn't try to give him 18 reasons. Doesn't quote Bible to him. He just says, just, look, just come and see. Just check it out. Just, just see what you think. And so now they're on the way to see Jesus. And as Jesus sees them approaching, he says, remember how he knew Peter? He also knows Nathaniel, even though they never met. And he says, wow, what a cool guy. This is a true Israelite. This guy's the real deal. This is like my vision for the nation. You know, this guy is a, a God lover. You can trust him. He's an honest man. He's a man of integrity. So he's, he's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So Nathaniel's kind of blown away. They've never met. And so he says, wait a second. How do you know me? He's still very skeptical. So Jesus drops a little supernatural on him. He says, oh, oh, really? Uh, no, I, I, trust me, I know you. I saw you while you were under the fig tree uh, before Philip came and got you. <laughs> Now, this is a day pre-iPhones, you know? There's no camera phones here, you know, like on the way, hey, you take some, someone take a picture here, see, he was under the fig tree. I mean, this is supernatural, and it just blows Nathaniel's mind. I mean, he's already heard the story, I'm sure. John the Baptist says, this is the guy, son of God. He's heard all the testimony. He's skeptical, but I mean, his friends that he trusts, they, they've bought in, and all he needed was this little touch from Jesus, like, hey, I know you, and I saw you. I saw you today, man. You were under that fig tree. Remember when Philip came? And it's like, whoa. And, and so he just buys in right away. And he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, 49. And you are the king of Israel. Man, you are. Now he's getting pumped up. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? This guy was easy. Uh, and verse 50, he says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? That's cool, man. I think that didn't take much. Hey, you're going to see a lot greater things than this. Now, you're in for a, you're in for a wild ride. You're impressed because of the whole fig tree thing? Wait till you see what I got planned for your life. It's going to be amazing. And so and then Jesus uh, says this really odd thing. It's uh, to understand what he says, you have to go back to the Old Testament. Let's go back 1,500 years in time. There's a, a man named Jacob. His name's later changed to Israel. And so he has 12 kids, 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. But when Jacob was a young man, before he had kids, he was 
running from his brother Esau who's out to kill him. The reason Esau is trying to kill him because Jacob had ripped him off. And so one night, and he's running away, he goes to sleep in the middle of nowhere, and he has this dream from God. In the dream, there is this huge stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin later wrote the song. <laughs> but Jacob kept the rights, and, which is why the Jewish nation is so wealthy today. Uh, Just, just kidding, for those of you who are new. <laughs> You're like, wow, is that why they're so wealthy? That's, <laughs> and, and on this stairway to heaven, uh, there's angels going up and down. And so at the top is God. And so this stairway really is a stairway to heaven. It's, it's the gateway into heaven. It's the, this, like this stairway that connects heaven and earth, earth and God. It's a stairway. And so Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and I'm sure this went over his head at the time, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But, but he says, man, that's cool. You believe because I told you, you, I saw you under the fig tree. Oh, you didn't see nothing yet. And he says, verse 51, then he added, I tell you the truth, you're gonna see heaven open, just like, like Jacob, and the angels of God are gonna be ascending and descending but not on the stairway to heaven. They're going to be descending on me. He's just like, I am the stairway to heaven. Like, I am the one who's going to connect heaven and earth. I am the word that became flesh so that, so that you know what God is like. I'm the one who's going to bring this planet back in alignment with its creator. I am the stairway to heaven. You have not seen anything left. How will he put it in John 14? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the stairway to heaven, you see? And so he, he has this moment with Nathaniel, and so we end this first week, this first four days, rather. Uh, the fir first week will go on to the next, next event we see next week, but first four days of when John and his buddies first meet Jesus. And I, I love this story because it, as we unpack it today, we're gonna see some, some great similarities between their relationship with Jesus, how, it, how their spiritual growth progressed, and how ours does, that there's sort of a model. Like as God worked in their life, he works in our life. And so I wanna take some time and unpack that. And they're there in your note sheet. There's a section that's called Following Jesus, Four Days and Three Principles. And I, and I want to talk about these four days and pull out three principles about their journey that correspond to our spiritual journey. So here we go. Number one, the first thing I learned from this story is that spiritual growth is a process. In other words, uh, coming to Christ, growing to be like Jesus, becoming a passionate Christ follower, that this is a process. It's a, it's a real relationship. It grows, it develops, it advances over time. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't become a passionate Christ follower overnight. There's a, there's a process that we go through with many steps along the way, many important in, uh, intersections, many important decisions, choices that we make. Now, to get at this, we... Um, we have to understand, uh, we, we've kind of, we, we spent some time with their story, the first four days, but I want to compare John's story of their story with some of the other gospels' story of the opening days. Um, like, for example, if you were to go to Mark's gospel and read his account of their first encounter, or what appears to be a first encounter, it's very different. Um, and uh, here's how it goes. Like, did any of you grow up going to Sunday school? Any, any Sunday school goer going? Okay. Any of you remember flannel graph? It was kind of a high-tech development. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you remember the story. The way the story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke is that um, Jesus comes along. It happens real early in the story. They've never met before. They've never met as his followers. And Jesus comes along by the Sea of Galilee. And you have a couple guys there fishing. You remember, you remember the flannel graph, got the robes on, hiked up, or whatever, throwing the little thing out, the net. And uh, Jesus comes along, and he's got the white robe always, got the long hair, he's got the look. And, uh, and so Jesus comes along, and he calls out to these guys, hey, you, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers. Remember, okay, and so we break into the rap, then. 
Um, and so, and then what did they do? They dropped everything and they followed. They leave their families, they leave their homes. And so the story goes, when Jesus calls you, you need to leave too, right? And so, you know, okay, I'm five years old. I'm going to leave my home. Anyway, um, and so they, uh, they're, they're going to follow Jesus right away. They just, they just boom, boom. And you get the impression as you hear this story, it's like they've never met this guy. They're just minding their own business. Follow me. He has the look, the magnetic pull. And they just like, okay. You know, and something supernatural happens. You're like, wow, great story, but I can't really relate to the story. It's like, it must have been amazing. And then he goes along further, and there's a couple guys sitting in the boat, James and John, and, and he says to them, uh, hey, follow me, and same deal. They, they drop their nets, they, they leave their dad, and they follow. And that's kind of the story, and that's how it's told. In fact, there in your note sheet, uh, I'll give you an example of one of these stories from Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked, so notice chapter 1, right, the beginning of the story. As Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. We saw him earlier in our story today, right, Simon? And his brother, Andrew, we met him earlier today. And they were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. And Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. They just drop it all. And when he got a little farther, he, left, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Remember, John's the author of our gospel. We're reading his story today. They're in a boat. They're preparing their nets. <laughs> Without delay, he calls them. They leave their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they follow him. So it, it kinda, you get the impression. It's sort of first time they met Jesus. He says, follow me. They drop their nets, leave everything, leave their dad, say goodbye, close up shops, say goodbye to their families, and they just follow and I'm sure that it happened just like Mark describes. I'm sure that exactly. But here's what John helps us to understand. That's a true story, but it's a later chapter in the book. That there are earlier chapters in their life than this story. See, what we're reading today in John's chapter 1 is we're reading the early chapters of their story. When Jesus came by the lake, it wasn't the first time they had met him. They had met him weeks or months before. They had had dinner with him. They had traveled with him. And they'd seen him do some miraculous things. 150 gallons of wine to start with out of water. Healing some sick people. You see, Jesus didn't call them to drop everything and leave everything and follow him the first time he met. The first time he met, he said, why don't you come and see and hang out and have dinner with me? Are you with me in this? Now, I think there's some huge implications for this. Because in our lives, uh, Jesus comes to us at different points in our journey, and he asks us to follow him. He doesn't ask us just to follow one time. He's going to ask many times. And the important thing is, is that we always follow what he's asking of us today. You see? But he's not going to ask the same thing of you that he asks of someone else, because we're at different stages in the journey. Like, for example, some of you here are, you're brand new to this whole Jesus thing. You're not even sure why you're here. In fact, you're shocked that you're in church today. <laughs> like, if your friends could see you now. They're like, what? You did what this weekend? And you're just really, but something's drawing you, but you're not really, you've never really been to church before. Maybe you had a little Catholic upbringing or something, you know, whatever. But you just, you've never really been in church. You haven't been in church in 20 years or 30 years, and you don't, you don't really know Jesus from the slice of bread. It's, just all, it's all new. And you, but you're here. And the important thing for you right now is not to go and sell everything and follow Jesus. That's not what he's asking. What he's asking of you is you just keep coming and have some more dinner with him. You travel with him. You begin to learn about him. You see? There, there will come a day where he will ask more, but it's not today. Today he's just saying, come and be with me and learn and listen and watch and see. Now for others of us here, we're at a different spot. We've been following Jesus for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And he has a vision for our life. And he's going to come to us at times and says, you need to drop your nets. Enough of this. It's time for us to get serious about our relationship. You've traveled with me. You know who I am. You've seen what I've done. You gave your life to me at one point. It's time for us to go to a whole new level now. Today is the day. Drop your nets and follow me. Are you, are you with me in this? He said, here's the thing. 
This is what I want us to catch as a church, that spiritual growth is a process. And the only thing that matters is what is Jesus asking you to do today? And if you will follow what he shows you today, you will become the person you're intended to be. You'll get to where you want. So don't try to be someone else. Worry about what is he calling you to do today? You know, is there a relationship he's calling you to leave? A relationship he's calling you to pursue? An attitude he's calling you to let go of? An attitude he's calling you to pursue? A priority? A decision? An area of rebellion? Like, what is he doing in your life today? The key to following Jesus is always saying, where is he leading today and following? And that's it. Don't try to live someone else's story. Just live your story and you'll get to where you need to be. That's the thing. And so we want to be a church like this. There's a church where we're helping each other in the journey saying, what is your story, and what is he calling you to do today, and how can I help? See, creating a whole environment of a whole church full of people that's saying, okay, what are you saying to me today at this stage of my life to take the next step of my journey? So spiritual growth is a process. Secondly, the second thing that jumps out at me from the story is that God uses people in the process. In other words, in this process of spiritual growth, that God is going to bring people in our life to help us grow in this process. He's going to bring people often at the very beginning stages of our journey, but he's also going to bring key people along the way. You'd often think that our relationship with God is just personal, me and God, but it turns out it isn't, that he brings key people into our life to help journey with us. And, and you see that in this story today. Um, great story. I pointed out, uh, Andrew's so excited about meeting Jesus, what's the first thing he does? He goes and gets Simon. you got to meet this guy. First thing uh, Philip does, he meets Jesus. After hanging out, what he does, he, he goes and gets his friend Nathaniel. you got to see this guy. And this is how it typically works. This is how people typically come to Christ. Very seldom does someone come to Christ where you have a dream in the middle of the night and God appears and says, go to Rocky Peak. <laughs> that does happen sometimes. I've heard stories like that. It does happen. It happens a lot in Muslim countries today where uh, Jesus will appear in dreams, and there's a lot of conversions that come out of this. Um, so, but, but by and large, it doesn't usually happen. Usually the way someone comes to Christ is because there's someone in your life who is experiencing Jesus in their life who says, man, you just gotta come and see. Just come and check it out. And, and you notice in this story that, that uh, I love this, that for example, in, in Philip's case, when Nathaniel is skeptical, he doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't say, oh, let me give you 18 reasons. He just says, look, you know me, you trust me, I'm telling you it's a real deal. Could you just, you know John, why don't you just come and see? Just check it out. And then, and then Jesus took it from there. And I think this is the way that most people come to Christ. This is the way most people start their journey. And this is the way God wants to work, not only in our life and bringing us to Christ, but, but are you with me? He wants to use us to bring others. This is how it works. Um, you see, oftentimes that we think to bring someone to Christ, you have to have all the answers. You have to be a great debater. You have to have the three-minute Jesus pitch down that's just incredible. Knocks people's socks, and just Boom. You know, in the name of Jesus, whoo, you know, uh, you're like, you are saved. Um, but the reality is, is that most people don't come to Christ that way. The reality is most people don't come to Christ as a result of a slick pitch. Most people come to Christ because there's someone in their life they know and respect that's, that God is working and it's obvious. And they're like getting curious, like what is going on there? And then at some point the person says, well, why don't you just come and check it out? Just come and see. No, 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 or you just come and see. You know, every, uh, every month we have these welcome desserts at our house for, for new people to Rocky Peak. And most of the people that come that God's bringing, are, I've never been in church before, they're really new at church. It's God's just bringing people that are just kind of hungry for God and just want to know God. And it's just awesome meeting them and hearing their stories. But I, I remember a couple months ago, there's just one, one lady, um, in fact, she came up this morning after the 9 o'clock, she was like, 
Like, you told my story. That's so cool. You know, she's so excited. But she came. She's like late 20s, high school teacher and uh, high school science teacher. And, and so she's at this uh, school, and one of her colleagues at the tools teacher works at Rocky Peak. And, and she knows that the, you know, that the Rocky Peaker is a Christian, and she's just invited her, like, you know, if you ever want to go with me to church, I'd just love to have you. And this person has a little bit of, like, Catholic upbringing, but just nothing, you know, been kicked the traces years ago, kind of really nothing going on uh, spiritually right now, and that's sort of a background. And so she started going through some things in her life, and she's, like, looking for some answers. And so she remembers this friend and says, hey, would it be okay if I came? And so she comes, and her very first time, and this was just two or three months ago, she comes, and, and she says, it's amazing. Because we always ask, why'd you come the first time? Why'd you come back? She said, I came. And she said, it was like, like you and I had this connection. <laughs> like, like everything you said, it was just saying, like, for me. And it's like, we, we just had this connection. And it was, just, it was just weird. We had this connection thing. So I came back the next week to see if that connection was still there. So the next week, the connection was still there. So I came back the third week to see if the connection was still there. She's telling this in this whole circle. We're all laughing by this point. It's like, the connection was still there. So I've been coming back every week. And the reason I'm here tonight is to find out why do we have this connection? Well, we know what that connection is. It's God. God's all over her. Like God's going like, you know, he's taking my words and like, let's fix this up, fix this up, fix this up. That's for you. Like, woo, you know. She thought I said things I've never said in my life. You know, it's like, whoa. Like God's on the move in her life. And that just happens all the time. That's going on all the time. That's why I say, I know so many of you here, you're not Christ followers, you're just brand new at this, you're just checking it out. But you sense that connection. Something's here. And why did she come? She came because this high school teacher of hers just said, hey man, just, if you'd ever like to not, hey man, you're a woman. Hey woman, like if you'd ever, if you ever want to come, like we'd lo- love to have you. And that's all it took. You see, it's all it took. And, and so we talk about here unleashing a movement of passionate Christ followers. How does that happen? It happens as you just grow in your life and you love people. We call it investing and inviting, right? You, just, you love people, you invest in their life, and as they watch what God's doing in your life. At a certain point, they get interested. He says, why don't you come and see? And so God uses people to start our process. That's the point. But he also uses people to grow us in the process. And this is fascinating to me. Uh, I pointed it out as we went through this story, but all the connection of relationships in these first 12 disciples. I mean, stop and think about it. Of the first 12 disciples, Jesus hadn't picked them. He picked them out of hundreds and thousands of people. And yet the men he chose were so many had these relationships before they became followers. You ever thought about this? Like, like Peter, we, we saw here Andrew and Peter. They're brothers, They'd grown up together. How weird is that? That's like having the Williams, uh, you know, the, the Williams uh, sisters at Wimbledon in the finals. You know, two sisters in the finals of Wimbledon right now? It's like unbelievable. Like, how does that happen? Well, how do two brothers become two of the 12 disciples? That's amazing. But it's not just them. Then Andrew and uh, uh, James and John are brothers. And, and they become part of the 12. And they have this lifelong relationship. And then here it gets really weird. Do you know in Luke chapter 5, we're told that Peter, James, and John, the three inner, that they were business partners before they met Jesus. They owned a shipping business together, fishing business together. And then it gets weirder because as we saw today, Philip, he grew up in the same town, little town, as Andrew and Peter. So they had, they'd grown up playing kind of Jewish baseball or whatever. You know, it's like they... They'd grown up playing hide and seek. You know, you be Moses. No, I got to be Moses last time. <laughs> uh, and so they had this relationship. And then Nathaniel, Nathaniel gets, goes and gets Philip, who's his buddy, and he gets in on the deal. And so when you start putting this together, we don't know the stories of all 12, but a lot of these 12, they, they, they knew one another. They'd grown up together. They'd played together. They'd hung out together. They're in the same families together. You see this? It's like, now, does that strike you as a coincidence? There's no coincidence in this. 
that Jesus, long before he called these men to be part of his inner 12, God was working in their life to prepare them for this destiny. And here's the point, it's the same in your life. That when you came to Jesus, there were certain people that started your journey. But since you've come to Jesus, he's been bringing people in your life to help continue your journey. Friends, pastors, teachers, books, just all kinds of relational things to help you grow in your journey. And here's what this means. Once we realize this, it just hammers home one of our core values here at Rocky Peak, the value of relationships, doing life together, that it's impossible to become like Jesus on our own. And what that means is that's why, that's why we've whole structured our whole church around these small groups called life groups so we can create environments where these kinds of friendships can develop. But it also says to you that in your life, you need to be paying attention to the people God brings in your life who are growth people in your life. You know, there are some people that come into our life that make us better. Iron sharpening iron. And there's some people in our life who make our life worse. And, and so the message is, those people that help you grow, hang out with those people. Invest in those relationships. Make time for those relationships because they're part of your growth package. See, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, these guys, God had interwoven their lives before they met Jesus so that when they came together, they would have a relationship. They, could, they wouldn't have to start from scratch and they were destined to go on and have a relationship to minister for him, and this is how it is in our lives. And so those people in your life that God uses to help you grow, it's not an accident, it's part of the plan. Embrace it, embrace it, because people are part of the process, okay? So that's second principle. Now, the third principle goes like this. The third principle is there's a purpose for the process. We saw that spiritual growth is a process. He uses people in the process, but what I'm saying, there is a purpose. When God comes after a man or a woman, he has a purpose for their life. He's got a purpose for the process they're in. He knows the end from the beginning. And from the very first time he came after you, he's been working towards an end. He's got a purpose. He has a destiny for your life. And you see that in the story. First time he meets Peter. You know, Peter's like, hello, my name's Simon. Yeah, I know you, Simon. Your dad's name's John. I know your story. I know what your friends call you. I know where you've been. I know your reputation. I know all about you. Can I tell you something? One day, we're all gonna call you by a different name. Got a new name for you. This, this is what uh, we call you in heaven. We call you Peter. It means the rock. You're the man. You, you, we've got great things planned for you. We've got a plan for your life. You're going to be the one that <coughs> we can depend on. You're going to be the one that we can build with. You're becoming a leader in my movement. Your real name is Peter. You, you may not be Peter now. If you know anything about the story of Peter, you know he's anything but a rock at this point in his life. He is not a rock. His name's Sandy. <laughs> you know. Your name's not Simon, your name's Sandy, but it's going to be Peter. This is a guy that's going to deny Jesus three times. It's a guy that's going to say, no way I'll ever deny you. I'll die for you. And then deny him three times. This guy is going to walk on water and then sink. It's, 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 his name right now isn't Rocky. <laughs> he's, he's not rock yet. But Jesus, who sees the end from the beginning, always knows where he's taking someone. And he speaks into his life. He says, can I tell you who you are? Can I tell you what we call you? Can I tell you what your true name is? Can I tell you what your destiny is? You follow me, your name's gonna be Peter. And then he meets Nathaniel, and he knows Nathaniel. And he says, Here's the real deal. You're, you're a true Israelite. There's, you're, you're a man of integrity. I love you. Love what you're about. How do you know me? Oh, I, I know you. Trust me. Saw you under the fig tree before Philip came. I know your story. And let me tell you this. You're impressed with that, but you ain't seen nothing yet. I got some plans for your future. 
You can see some amazing things before we're done. Starting three days from now. Starting three days from now, which we're going to talk about next week. Starting three days from now in your hometown, I'm going to turn 150 gallons of water into wine in your hometown with your friends and your buddies, your family, all at the wedding. And we're going to start right there. And then we're going to, we're going to move on from there. You've got to see some amazing things. You see, when, when Jesus comes after a man or woman, from the very beginning, he knows the end from the beginning. And when he came after you, he knows the story. He knows your true name. He knows your destiny. The question is, the only question is whether you will follow him so you grow into your new name. That's the only question, you see? And so let's put this together, these three principles. But I want to do it in reverse order. So when God comes after a man or woman, he knows their destiny. He knows what his vision for their life. He brings people into their life to start the journey with, and he brings people into their life to continue that process of growth. But ultimately, the final decision depends on this process of spiritual life, of spiritual, the spiritual growth. And it depends on whether we follow at every critical juncture. If we continue to follow, then we will grow into our new name, you see? And so that's really the question for us today is, is where are you on your journey? And what is there for you to do? Is there a decision that you need to make? If there is, you probably know. Uh, God has a way of communicating. Unless you've been ignoring him for so long, you've shut out his voice. Then you're in a bad spot. But, but, but if you're here, and, and you know, you, you know what he's calling you to do. There's, there's a decision to make. There's a, a priority to change. There's an attitude that needs to go. There's an attitude that needs to come. There's a relationship you need to break. There's a relationship you need to embrace. There's a priority that needs to shift. There's a habit that needs to go. But you know. And he comes at different points in our life, and he says, follow me. And the important thing is that when he calls, you just take the next step. You just take the next step. And if you will take the next step, and then the next step, and the next step, one day, you will be known by a new name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know our true names. You know our destinies. You know why you've called us. And as a church, Lord, we want to embrace our true name as a church. As, as followers of yours, we want to embrace our destiny. We want to grow into our new names. We want to experience those amazing things you have planned for us. And so today, Lord, as we, we take apart their story, we pray that it will become our story. And that for each of us here, that we would take that next step, whether that next step is just keep coming to Rocky Peak and keep feeling that connection and keep seeing where it leads, or whether that next step is something big, to leave our nets, to follow you, some area of our life, that whatever the next step is, that we would take it together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.